There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. What happens when a carefully crafted lie comes tumbling down? On December 11th, 2002, a man was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list for the actions he took when his successful lies started to come undone. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. The Longo family seemed like the picture-perfect middle-class family living in Walport, Oregon, complete with a husband, Christian Michael Longo, a wife, Mary Jane Longo, and three young children, Zachary, Sadie, and Madison. Christian, a good-looking and charming man, and Mary Jane had been married for the last eight years, and both studied the Bible with Jehovah's Witnesses, though they had not yet been considered members of their church because they had not given up habits, like smoking, that was considered unacceptable for membership. Mary Jane, in addition to raising her children, who ranged in ages between two and four, worked part-time as a cashier at Walmart, while Christian worked as a manager at a local Starbucks. They were normal, unassuming, and seemed like well-liked members of the local community. Which is what made the events of December 19th, 2001, all that more shocking. That's the day that a fisherman casting off in a marina at the Alcia River spotted something floating in the water and immediately called the police. When they arrived, they confirmed the angler's worst fears. The thing he saw floating in the water was the body of a three- or four-year-old boy, clearly well taken care of prior to his death, but wearing nothing but a pair of underwear. His cause of death and his identity remained unknown. At first, police thought the boy had tragically wandered down to the water and fell inside. And if that was the case, a set of worried parents would be calling sometime soon, looking for their son and telling the police his true identity. Yet, no one came forward. So they did the only thing they could think of and started going door to door at all of the houses surrounding the water, hoping someone would know who the young boy was. Thankfully, they chose to knock on the door of a woman named Denise Thompson, who took one look at the boy and said his name was Zachary Longo. He was four years old, and his father, whom she worked with at the local Starbucks, was a man named Christian Longo, and that the family had only been living in Yaquina Bay, Oregon, for about six months. Not only that, but she was very familiar with the children and babysat them on occasion. She went on to say that the last time she saw Christian, he told her that Mary Jane was leaving him and taking the kids with her. After that ominous statement, Christian missed the next shift that they worked together, and she assumed he was devastated by the sudden desolation of his family. With names to go by, police started to look into the Longo family. When they did, they found out that the children had been marked absent from school on December 17th, the same day that Mary Jane Longo failed to show up to work. The family as a whole was last seen at Sunday morning church the day before and a neighbor saw Mary Jane's car parked in the driveway with her keys, purse, and cigarettes still on the dashboard. The neighbors, who had by this point noticed the Longos were missing, began a frantic search to find the missing family while police went to make a welfare check at their home. Upon first glance, police noted how odd it was that a person making their wages could afford such an expensive waterside condo. 
When they checked in with the landlord, he claimed he only agreed to rent to the Longos because Christian told him he had worked for the telephone company and they were, after just a few months living there, already behind on their rent. They also took note of the state the condo was left in. Nothing seemed to be disturbed, no signs of an intruder or anything else nefarious, and possessions still sitting around as if someone would come home any second. By this point, the police were certain something bigger was going on with the Longos and reached out to the FBI to conduct a nationwide search for what was left of the family. They also sent in divers to search the waters where Zachary was found to see if they could find any clues left behind. Instead of clues, they found the body of three-year-old Sadie weighted down with a pillowcase full of rocks. Lying nearby was another pillowcase that was likely used to weigh down Zachary. There were no signs of anyone else in the Longo family. As news spread and the nation waited with bated breath for any updates, five days after Sadie's remains were located, the bodies of Mary Jane and two-year-old Madison were found stuffed in a suitcase found floating in Yaquina Bay. An autopsy would later determine that the children were smothered to death prior to entering the water, while Mary Jane, clearly the main target of these attacks, was stabbed to death a number of times before she was shoved inside of the suitcase. All four victims were bound with different lengths of chain and tethered to cinder blocks. Had Zachary's body not somehow detached and floated to the surface, their bodies would have likely not been discovered for decades. Realizing he was the only family member not accounted for and given the evidence, Christian Longo was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list on January 11, 2002. While police, needing to understand how the perfect family had such a tragic ending, investigated what made a husband and father kill his entire family. Christian Longo, born on January 23, 1974 in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and met Mary Jane at his local Kingdom Hall. She was several years older than him, but the pair fell in love, marrying in the spring of 1993 when he was just 19 and she was 25. The marriage started out with a bang when, in order to pay for her 3.5 carat diamond ring, Christian stole over $100 from the camera store where he worked. Feeling guilty, he wrote a check to reimburse the store, but his roommates, who were also Jehovah's Witnesses, turned him into the elders and he was sanctioned for his theft, meaning the pair could not get married in Kingdom Hall. This became the start of a dangerous pattern in Christian's life. Settling down as newlyweds, the pair became a little overzealous with their spending and, before long, found themselves completely overrun with credit card debt. So Christian and his brother founded a construction cleanup business together in hopes of making some more money. And, for a time, the business ran pretty successfully, which meant Christian had more money to spend instead of fixing the debt he was already in. In the meantime, he told everyone that his moderately successful business was a sensation and even convinced his own father to invest tens of thousands of dollars into his company. Then a late payment from one of their customers sent the whole charade tumbling down. But Christian, never wanting to lose face, started writing bad checks to himself from his own business and forging checks from his clients. By this point, he was in so much debt, even these forgeries couldn't cover it. One of their cars was repossessed for non-payment, leaving them with one car and a growing family. And when that car broke down, Christian purchased a fake ID, went to an out-of-state car lot, quote, test drove a van, 
and gave it to Mary Jane as a birthday present. When she asked why they never got any bills for the van, he printed out fake ones and sent them to his address. If these lies weren't enough, Mary Jane got on his laptop one day and found proof that her husband was cheating on her. He claimed he never had a physical relationship with the woman, but blamed Mary Jane for his emotional affair and said that she wasn't as fun since she had the children. Again, Christian was sanctioned by his congregation, but Mary Jane stayed with him despite his indiscretion. Shortly after that, he was arrested for forging $30,000 worth of checks and was eventually sentenced to three years probation and ordered to pay restitution. As a result, Christian was disfellowshipped and shunned by his church, as was Mary Jane. While on probation, Christian got a credit card in his father's name and ran up an additional $100,000 in credit card debt, paying for laser eye surgery for his wife as another ill-gotten gift. Seven weeks later, he packed up his family and moved them to Toledo, Ohio, and into an old warehouse with no kitchen and bad plumbing, leaving it to Mary Jane to make the place a suitable home for their family with stolen tools and forged checks obtained in secret by her husband. He was caught by police again, but by the time they showed up to arrest him, the family was nowhere to be found. Around this time, Mary Jane's cell phone was cut off for non-payment, and fearful for her safety and having no clue the Longos were on the run from the law, her parents filed a missing persons report for her and the children, who were now at the command of their father, driving around the country in a stolen moving van and SUV, staying at cheap motels and rugged campsites. All the while, Mary Jane, who believed every one of her husband's lies, had no clue why they were moving from place to place. She sent a postcard to her family from South Dakota, and the police closed the missing person's case. The Longos, ready to settle down once again, came into Oregon and, after a few small-time scams, Christian finally got the job at Starbucks. The first real job he had had in a very long time. A place where he, once again, created the illusion of the perfect family, even claiming he only worked at the coffee shop for fun and was actually a millionaire who earned his fortune from the internet. After six months of living the straight and narrow, Christian realized that his income wasn't enough for the family of five, and on the night of December 16, 2001, decided that he had to do something about his life. With a clear idea of why he killed his family, police began receiving tips left and right about Christian's whereabouts. One such tip came from a man who told police that someone was parked at the bridge near where the bodies were found on the night of the murder. That he tried to stop and help the man, but he claimed the car just needed a second to cool down. Another tip came from a housekeeper who worked at a hotel where the Longos had once stayed when they first got into Oregon. She said she found several important papers, including birth certificates and Mary Jane's ID, in the trash can in the room. While all of this was useful, it wasn't really leading to Christian. Then a break came in the case. A Starbucks in San Francisco called and said that a man matching Christian's description had just tried to apply for a job. Unfortunately, he never returned. They then discovered that he had used a stolen credit card number to buy a plane ticket to Texas and from there to Cancun. Realizing that he crossed the border, the FBI got to work with the Mexican authorities who helped to cover the streets of Cancun with flyers containing Christian's photo. 48 hours later, they got two major hits. 
one from a Canadian tourist who said she saw Christian, and another from a tour guide who said Christian, going by the name Mike, had just gone on his snorkeling tour, and when it was finished, the guide took him back to his camp, meaning he knew exactly where Mike was staying. After working out all the bureaucratic details, Christian Longo, the man who had just killed his wife and children, was found on the sunny beaches of Mexico, bar hopping, scuba diving, smoking pot, and lying naked in a bed with a German photographer who thought his name was Mike Finkel from the New York Times. He was arrested on January 14, 2002. His trial began on March 10, 2003 with Christian's plea of not guilty on all four counts. This would later change to guilty for the murders of Mary Jane and Madison and not guilty for Zachary and Sadie's murder. At the trial, Christian gave multiple conflicting explanations for the murders before settling on Mary Jane as the killer. He claimed he came home from work to find Zachary and Sadie already murdered, with Mary Jane flying off the handle and saying she killed the older children by, quote, putting them in the water. Madison was lying lifeless on the bed and, furious, Christian strangled Mary Jane in a fit of rage. That's when he saw Madison gasp for life and, quote, finished her off. After four hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on all four counts and Christian was sentenced to death. However, since Oregon has a moratorium on the death penalty, Christian remains behind bars in what will likely end up being a life imprisonment. While awaiting his trial, Christian Longo was visited by the real Michael Finkel, and the pair developed an odd friendship that made Mike unsure Christian was the monster he was being portrayed as. That all went away when Christian took the stand during his trial. Years later, he would admit to what really happened that night in December, claiming he decided his family's fate while at work that day and said that the pressure to provide for them was far too much for him to handle. He did not want them to witness his failure and for Mary Jane to finally be confronted with the fact that he had been deceiving her for years, believing, according to his statements, that he was sending them to a, quote, better place. He said that after he got home from work, He and Mary Jane were making love when he realized that this was his chance. He placed his hands on her throat and began strangling her to death. He did the same to two-year-old Madison, but said the feeling of her tiny throat in his hands was far too unsettling. So instead, he took a sleeping Zachary and Sadie and drove them off to Lint Slow Bridge, collecting rocks along the way to fill the pillowcases that he brought. He, one by one, unbuckled them from their car seats and tied the pillowcases to their ankles, lifting them up and dropping them into the water. When he was done, he went to a company Christmas party, gifting a co-worker a bottle of Mary Jane's perfume, rented a movie, worked a shift, played some volleyball, and left town when he heard the news of Zachary's discovery. Mike Finkel, who was privy to this confession, would go on to write a memoir about Christian Longo. After years in prison and the discovery of psychology, Christian admitted that he was a self-diagnosed narcissist. Yet, even behind bars, he pretends to be a successful stock trader to impress his fellow inmates. When last heard from, Christian Longo was working to overturn the laws forbidding death row inmates from donating organs and founded the Gifts of Anatomical Value for Everyone organization. The organization has a blog that has not been updated since 2015. 
Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.